Hi guys, welcome to Hive's podcast, the podcast for missional entrepreneurship. My name is Vincent Bujor, and I have the founder of Hive here with me in the studio today, Jesse. Jesse Swicker, thank you so much for being here with me. My pleasure. Thank you, Vince. So Jesse, uh, you know, he is a good friend of mine, and we we have known each other for uh, now four years. Uh, I've actually attended the very first Hive conference in Europe, and uh, Jesse is originally from Switzerland. Uh, his mom is from California. It's actually a funny fact that um, he was just sharing uh, with me that, you know, <laughs> his mom used to drive through Silicon Valley every single day when she was in high school, way before Jesse was born. And then now, later, you know, many years later, now Silicon Valley is pretty famous. Um, Jesse has become an entrepreneur, but not only an entrepreneur, he has become a missional entrepreneur. And uh, what that really means and, uh, and, and why that is so important to us today, uh, we want to find that out here uh, on this episode of Hive's podcast. Today, we want to get to know Jesse and his story a little bit more. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Jesse, at the very beginning, how did you grow up? Yeah, thank you, Vince. Um, you know, I grew up probably like everybody else. Um, like I tell my kids, um, I, I slept a lot. I ate a lot. I uh, did a lot of exercise. No. Um, so to, to tell you about how I grew up is... I think the most important thing in my in my story is that um, I obviously I grew up in Switzerland, um, but to an American mom. So I had somehow a mixture of cultures, and we traveled um, a lot. My dad was working for Swiss Air, so we had uh, cheap tickets uh, everywhere. So so that was a that was a helpful a helpful thing to get more exposure. Um, and we were Christians, you know, we were Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but not very defined. You know, we didn't, I didn't, I didn't have anything, any clue about like mission work or anything like that. But um, the big thing was really that my mom, every single day, she would share, she would read while we had breakfast. She would read stories of these crazy missionaries that were working in Papua New Guinea or they were working in some parts of the country, you know, some other some other country fighting against crocodiles and trying to reach people, you know. And so that spirit of adventure, I think, really um, was absorbed, you know, in my in my personal experience. And I think it later then came out uh, once I once I had my first conversion experience so but and that was until like when I was 18 so I had nothing to do with really I was not interested in a lot of spiritual things I, I, I didn't understand any doctrines or anything like that I just I just was kind of a kind of a you know a worldly kid I, I went to church but um uh, mostly I was drumming. Uh, that's what I was doing all my free time. You know, I was, I was going to get a, a, a scholarship to, to go to Berkeley college jazz in Boston, um, for drumming. And then, but then we had this crazy, um, idea, or actually our youth pastor had this crazy idea of us going to the Philippines and doing 
something that he called an evangelistic campaign. Now, I didn't understand what that was. I just thought, cool, Philippines, you know, that's another country. I haven't been there yet. You know, it sounds like an adventure. Um, let's go. And so I showed up there, you know, we, we, we flew over there. I went actually with my brother and with my parents and with the whole youth group. And um, I was 18. And then I turned up there and I saw this huge, uh, big banner, you know, that said, discover the prophecies. And then I looked a little closer and I saw this picture of myself on the banner and it said, Jesse Swicker, evangelist. And I'm like, pastor, what am I doing here? What am I doing? And so he's like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Here, look, here's a stack of sermons. These are pre-written sermons. Just read them before you present. You've been on stage all your childhood, basically, you know, from drumming and bass guitar and all this music stuff. So you're used to being on stage. So just, just read it and then share it, you know, in the evenings. And so for me, that was like my introduction to, whoa, you know, all this stuff. And I, and I had like, these were like 20 something sermons and I was just studying all day long. And I was like, whoa, I was discovering every day. I was like, oh, wow, I had no idea that I believed this, you know, <laughs> that the Bible said this stuff. And, and it was like super, super amazing to me. And that was really where my my childhood in a way like turned around and all these stories from the past from from my my mom telling all these mission stories uh really started coming to life and i'm like wow i want to do something meaningful i want to do something something you know amazing like these guys that that we had heard about and i you know the last thing i wanted to do was like do a live a normal boring life like anybody else could you know because we have a deeper purpose right so that was for me was was key in my in my 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 childhood and my upbringing wow it's quite fascinating um so so i guess that was kind of the beginning of you getting into ministry um what happened after that? What, what happened once you made that decision to say, okay, I'll follow Jesus 100%, I'm in. And uh, what, what happened next? Well, um, I, you know, through a series of, of, of uh, miracles and also circumstances, I went to a mission school uh, in Norway where I met a, a friend from Honduras, you know, Central America. And, um, and then, but then, you know, people were saying, I need to go study. If I want to go work full time for God, you know, then really the only way is to study theology and you got to be a pastor, you know, a converted young guy, you know, you, you got to be a pastor, you know. And I was not so sure about that because I didn't feel like I fit into that box very well. Um, but, you know, since everybody was saying this, the same thing and I, and I you know, I was, I guess, you know, I just kind of thought, well, whatever it is, it's going to help me if I do have theology and uh, whatever I do. So I decided to go and study theology. And um, and I did that. I did that for a year. Um, I did do another, another a couple of years, actually. Um, but then after the first year, you know, Jose from Honduras, who I had studied with at the mission school, he's like, Jesse, Jesse, he calls me up. He's like, Jesse, I got this property and... 
uh, I'm all alone. Let's come here and help me start this project. You know, stop all this, all this boring Greek and Hebrew over there, you know? And so I'm like, I'm like, actually, I enjoy Greek and Hebrew. It wasn't that bad, but, but definitely it wasn't the adventure that I was looking forward to, you know, from all these childhood stories, you know? So when he invited me, I'm like, I prayed, you know, and I, I felt like, this was going to be, I, I was going to learn a lot more going and starting a project than even, um, than even studying theology. So anyway, I dropped out of college and I jumped over, over the, over the Atlantic uh, to Central America. I went to Honduras and we started this project actually a couple months after I got there. Um, Jose told me, uh, you know, Jesse, my parents really want me to study uh, full time. So I'm going to be studying industrial engineering. So I'm grateful that uh, the Lord brought you here so you can run the project while I'm studying. <laughs> so here I was 19 years old. And uh, and then I had to, you know, figure out how to lead this project, how to really start the project. And um, and he would always help. I mean, he was always there on weekends. You know, he was definitely always working overtime. But while he was studying full time during the week in the at the at the you know at the capital, and so anyway, but it was an amazing experience. That to me, I learned. I probably I'm I'm hundred percent sure I learned ten times more during those three and a half years that I was in Honduras. You know, trying to figure out how to how to start a project, how to start a church, and then we started a you know a, a, a mission school and. A, and then an elementary school, which has today has like 120 kids and uh, and then industries, you know, to make it sustainable and all this kind of stuff. And then leadership, you know, uh, management and finances and oh, man, dealing with people, you know, dealing with issues that come up and all these, you know, uh, just 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 keeping everybody happy. I mean, you know, it, it's a, and then fundraising, find, trying to figure out how to, how to pay everybody. We had within, a, within one year, we had like 20 missionaries and we had to figure out how to, how to feed everybody, you know? And, and, and I mean, I had, I had so much pressure on me, but, um, but I really enjoyed it because that's what made me like learn and study and grow very quickly at a very young age. And I was totally like, when I was in, even in college studying theology, man, I, every day what I did, you know, I was, school was, was not too, um, it wasn't too, uh, too difficult, you know, so for me, for, so I had a lot of free time and all I did was play pranks on people, you know, like that was my, that was what I enjoyed doing, you know, and so as soon as, as soon as responsibility hit and I had, I had to feed a bunch of people and their livelihoods depended on, on, you know, me. And really they didn't depend on me. They depended on God, but I, but I, I, I felt that burden. And so, and so suddenly I had, I definitely had to focus all of my energies into really, you know, doing this. And, and man, I, I would say I got, you know, 10 degrees, uh, in that, uh, in that time, even though like 11 years later, I ended up finishing theology. So I, so I, you know, so I do understand what that is, but it's, uh, I even worked for the church, uh, you know, a couple years, but it's, but it's, it's really, um, it was a very, a very amazing experience for me to, to have that, that mission experience in Honduras. That's amazing. I just think that 
when I hear that story, when you share those details, it seems like that you have had a lot of exposure to uh, business stuff uh, while you were trying to reach the people out there in the jungle. Um, how did you then get involved with business? I mean, now you call yourself a missional entrepreneur. Hive is a community of missional entrepreneurs. Uh, how did the business part of your life really start? Yeah, that was very interesting. I, you know, I kind of, I kind of fell into it. You know, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't planning to be an entrepreneur. I was planning to be a missionary. You know, that's what I wanted to do. And, and, um, but it was actually figuring out how to do ministry in a more effective way. Uh, and I, I believe the most effective way. I, I constantly over 10 years trying, I was trying to figure out what's the best way we can really reach more people and be more scalable, you know, because at the beginning we were donation based and we could only do as much as we fundraised, you know? And so I spent a lot of time fundraising and, but then if the funds dried up, then we would do less, you know, if the funds didn't come, if the funds did come, then we could do something. And so, and so sometimes fund will come, funds will come for something, but not for operating expenses. Anyway, so all these things uh, made me realize, man, we really need to make this thing totally business-based if everything is business-based. And I, and I, and I realized that um, it really in Honduras is that every project was really designed or meant to be business-based. I mean, I thought about call porter work. Call porter work is nothing else. It's, it's really a business-based uh, way of sharing the gospel through these books to the community. Uh, a school, you know, with tuition is, is self-funded, right? It's, it's essentially a business, even though it might be a nonprofit, but it's still a business-based venture. And, um, and so all of these projects, you know, we got into a bakery. We, uh, one of the first projects was, uh, we bought a tamarind plantation. Somebody loaned us the money to buy a, a tamarind plantation. Actually, it was my brother-in-law. Um, and, and we bought it so that we could harvest the tamarind. We could, we could then, we built a, a processing plant. We started processing tamarind into tamarind juice, like concentrate, so that we could sell it to the juicing company uh, to, for them to sell it as juice, which is in Honduras, like, it's like everybody drinking orange juice. Everybody drinks orange juice or tamarind. So, so it's a very common drink. And so we, we, we saw that opportunity to really get into making the making everything that we're doing really self fully self-funded so that we can scale you know because we cannot duplicate this everywhere else in the country if it's not fully self-sustainable you know because donations will only go that far so that to me was was um where i started getting into business after that uh it kind of pushed me into um into starting my own projects. After after that experience, I worked uh, for some years in the states, also doing uh, like I started an online uh, an online medical missionary training program, which was very successful, and it started generating. Um, uh, you know, we were able to train a lot of people, and it was able to really uh, generate a lot of income. And so I saw the potential, and I started studying more into business and into. Um, entrepreneurship. I took some courses uh, at uh, Stanford and 
and uh, other other places, uh, Harvard, um, Harvard Business School. And it was like, it totally blew my mind uh, because I realized, wow, there is a world out there of people that are trying to do essentially what I'm doing. They're, 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 they may be doing it for other reasons, but they're really trying to reach the world in a different way with a different gospel. But, but we're essentially trying to do the same. And so that's where I really started integrating that um, and I, and I, and I decided to launch out, you know, I saw some opportunities. Uh, we started a translation company, transla- you know, Christian translations called Crosslingo, where we do a lot of translations now for, for the general conference, for, you know, for the Adventist review, for, uh, ASI, for other projects, uh, translating evangelistic series, translating all kinds of things. And that was then, it got me started into another project, um, a, a software company that is focused on like um, open source translation, um, like crowd translation, um, which one of those, one of those, um, one of the applications, uh, use cases for that was, was Ellen White's writings. So we, so we developed uh, the project called Ellen for All and which, you know, Praise the Lord was integrated actually into um, into the general conference into the white estate for them to now translate into um, all languages for, uh, so anybody from anywhere in the world can go in there and start translating and others can proofread and then the publishing houses can can do the proof etc etc so uh, that to me was a was a was a major a major learning curve to do to start my own obviously missional companies but um but they were they were they were companies it gave me this experience of how to go through the difficulties of startups you know and 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 launching into the market and doing this kind of stuff developing you know even software you know i had no idea about software man let me tell you and so and so that was really a a helpful experience later i got into a number of other projects and uh, and then finally into uh, business coaching and consulting. So so we've been doing a lot of that through Solomon Coach, and um, really doing like a Christian approach to business coaching. Really helping helping uh, Christian businesses to do these best practices, not just for profitability, but also for impact and for spiritual impact. So, so um, anyway, so that has been my journey in a way with the, in the business side, really starting from when I was like, I guess, 13 years old, I started, I, I didn't even have a license yet to ride mopeds, you know, these little motorcycles, and I would start fixing them up and selling them and making money so that I could, you know, so that I could buy a big drum set at the time. So, so that was really probably the start of where I started uh, getting into business. Um, but really, it was always with the, the, the fundamental framework was always how do we advance the work of God in the most effective way? That's what really got me into business, primarily in Honduras. But there is one business that Jesse hasn't told you about yet. One business that he calls his baby and uh, one that I've been also part of now for the better part of two and a half years. And that business, that ministry, if you want, is called Hive. 
Uh, stay with us. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to hear all about Hive and why that is so cool and so important for us and for you personally today. So Jesse, tell me, um, why did you start Hive? What exactly does Hive mean? And how did you end up funding another company that focuses on what we call missional entrepreneurship? Okay, yeah. So Hive comes from the word beehive. And beehive um, is not referring to the to making honey, but it's really about a vision that our uh, co-founder of the church, Ellen White, had around 1876. She had a vision of the beehive of San Francisco. And so in that beehive, she saw a whole bunch of bees working that city. And each one of those bees were essentially a, a social venture, a ministry, or a business that was reaching different uh, parts of the city with uh, solving different social problems of that time. Now, this was when San Francisco was a booming city after the Industrial Revolution, and there was a lot of need. Uh, people were moving into the city. A lot of people were coming from in, in from the ports, you know, moving to the United States. So there was a lot of need. And so she saw all these bees of, like, um, vegetarian restaurants, of... Uh, clinics, of health food stores, of uh, people doing like an employment agency, getting finding employment for work or, for people, uh, orphans, finding home for orphans, um, doing like what they call ship mission work, like helping the people that were just coming on onto the shore and they had not had any showers for much time. Anyway, so so all of these people, uh, health food, like, like, uh, like sanitariums or hospitals, uh, health centers, lifestyle centers, all kinds of things, all of them to reach that city, to help, to minister to the needs of society, gain their trust, and then show them that this care is not coming from them, but is actually God wanting to care about them in that city. So that was the vision of the beehive. And and the vision was not to just do that in San Francisco, but to do that in every city of the world, and that's where Hive comes from. That's the vision that that we built Hive on. That's an amazing uh, concept, and I, I love that idea. I think that's so important for us today. That the cities are getting bigger and bigger, and the people are getting more lonely and 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 just longing for more every single day. Um, so so did that lead you to, I mean, hearing about that vision, was that what kind of motivated you uh, to start Hive or how did you actually start this, uh, this business slash ministry? 
Yeah, so that's interesting. We we started really, of course, that vision was very compelling to us. Um, but I figured, well, there's a number of other organizations that are doing something along these lines. Um, every ministry is doing something different, and that's and that's great. But um, we felt the need that there was more need for orchestrating, so really like networking, bringing these things things together. But really, um, it's almost it's almost uh, an autobiographic, you know understanding or learning curve over a decade of my own experience of trying to do ministry, but really not finding the tribe or finding a home for how I think um, the is the is really the best way, the most effective way for us to advance the work of God. And I had really, I had four main learning curves in my experience, the first one, and I mentioned those in the previous uh, episode, and that is the first one was really that if we're going to advance the work of God, if we're really going to be serious about about expanding the work of God in a in a massive way, then we cannot continue doing mission work and doing ministry on a free time basis. If we continue to try to cram all the ministry work related work into this little tiny piece of our lives that we have, which is free time after spending all of our day on our job and, you know, to sustain ourselves. And then the rest of our free time we're using for family and for friends and then for hobbies. And then at the very, very end, there's this little box of free time that then the pastor says, Hey, let's do something, you know, and everybody ends up bailing on him because, because it's it's just simply the wrong box that we're going after. So I really think that we need to rethink and start thinking of ministry or mission work as a full-time thing. But the only way to do this full-time, do it in our jobs, essentially, is to make it sustainable. You know, so um, so so that was a major thing. So I think we really need to be doing it full-time uh, if we're going to really... T- Take this seriously and move faster. The second one was um, all talents uh, are celebrated for the work of God. So, so God does not discriminate between talents. You know, uh, like I shared in my in my in my little in my story, everybody wanted me to be a pastor. Everybody thought that's the only way for me to work for God full time. But this is such a big lie that I think the devil placed into our system, you know, to, 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 to really discourage everybody else from really doing ministry um, in a more creative way, you know. So only, only about 5% of humans really are speaker types, you know. So tendentially people, not, not everybody is interested in being a pastor, you know. Um, there's, there's many, many different talents. There's, thousands of different types of talents. And so and so we really need to open it up. You know, some some people say, yeah, you you can just be a pastor. Others say, well, you can only work as a health missionary. You know, the health is the only way um on the other side or like a foreign missionary out in the boondocks. And so and so but this is really only a, a very small fraction of the people that are really going to do that. 
Um, but I believe that there is a much broader spectrum of talents that God wants to use to advance the work of God. You know, um, in the words of, of, uh, of Ellen White, you know, whether he be a mechanic or a professional man or a nurse or a doctor or a businessman, it doesn't matter. The responsibility lies upon all to advance the work of God. Let every talent be employed in the work of God. So for me, that's crucial. That was my second big learning curve. First one, full-time mission work. Second, second one was all talents, obviously all good talents, should be employed in the work of God. We don't discriminate. And then, and then, and then the third one was profitability. Really, there's there. If we're going to advance the work of God in an effective way, we need to do it in a profitable way. Sustainable, but not just sustainable. Sustainable, people think it's like break even. But break even is not a good recipe, okay? Break even um, it does not prepare you for, for any crisis like a COVID crisis or, or any, anything like that. Um, if you're on break even... Man, you're going down, you're going bankrupt, you're done, right? So so really, we should be focusing on doing the way we do ministry. We should do it in a profitable way so that we have some kind of a margin. Profitable people think it's like a negative thing. It's like a selfish thing. But this is not a selfish thing. It's a survival thing. It's a sustainability thing. And and actually, you know, um, we're told that that even sanitariums were, were meant to be so profitable so that they can start another sanitarium. They should be able to help start another sanitarium. So if we're going to do this um, in a scalable way, the only way to do it scalably, imagine if every sanitarium, if every health center was so profitable that it could start another health center. Man, that's the exponential curve, okay? Like that's the, that's the way we're going to grow. That's the way we're going to be able to reach the whole world is through exponential growth. We can't do one restaurant here and try to just break even, you know, and 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 on the right down the corner is there's the McDonald's that is doing profit is making profit and the guys already have like 45,000, 50,000 restaurants around the world and we're still struggling with 10, you know? So so we need to be thinking in a much more scalable uh, and I believe the the key to scalability is really profitability. And not just that, but mission work, the way I experience it, also even in Honduras, you know, I can do that for a few years when I'm, when I'm, I can be broke. I didn't, I didn't earn anything during that time. I mean, I was, I was living off of nothing, but it was fine because I was not married. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have to, I didn't have to, you know, get a house and, and, and so forth, you know, to, to, and health insurance and all this other stuff. It, it was fine, but that only works for a few years. But if we want to do this long-term we need to be thinking more profitable so that we can pay people better so that they can do this job long term. So I, I really believe in that. That's number three. And then number four is, is professionality. I really think uh, oftentimes, you know, we, we do things in such a hodgepodge way in ministry, like we don't set the standard high enough. And it's because we don't set that standard very high, uh, we end up doing this kind of this kind of work in a very hodgepodge way. Most ministries, even churches, when they're trying to reach people, 
Every business in the business world does a market study. They understand their target audience. They understand who they're trying to reach. And they're not trying to reach everybody. They're trying to reach their the audience that they're most likely to reach and, they, and so forth so that they can really um, uh, reach these people in a more effective way. But we don't do a lot of this business planning, you know, um, um, market research. I mean, all the professional things. Like I, I had this experience of, of taking some courses um, at Harvard and 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 other places and reading books. You know, I love I love reading or listening to books. I probably read you know at least one book a week, and it's 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 so helpful because it really uh, teaches you a different mindset of doing things in a much more professional way, not just from uh, the the professional like best practices from the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy, but also really best practices of what really works out there because most of these people are really trying to do trying to reach people the way we are trying to reach them and the way they do marketing you know they're trying to reach people and so and and as i say it's not maybe for the same motives but uh but we can take advantage of some of that and obviously have our filter to do things in a in a in a in a in a right christian kind way um we're not trying to, you know, take advantage of anybody, but we need to do things in a more professional way. So those four points were for me the key to to for me to say, hey, I think we need uh, a, an organization that will take this message of missional entrepreneurship, of really taking advantage of all talents, and entrepreneurship does that, right? Um, taking advantage of all talents, anybody can start something. Especially now, I mean, over 50% of, of young people want to start their own business, right? And so let's help them, let's harness that and help them start these businesses for the right motives, right? Not just for profit, but really to, to, to reach as many people as possible and use our enterprises no matter what kind of company, an accountancy, uh, whatever kind of company, a mechanic job, I mean, you name it. Anything can be used to reach people because you have a sphere of influence. You have customers, you have your coworkers, you know, you have your, your team, your employees, you have your, your vendors, you have your suppliers, you have, you have uh, a whole network around you that is built in order for your business to survive, but not just for your business, but really for us to take advantage and to really demonstrate to people that God really cares for them. So it'll affect, obviously, the way we do business, what kind of business we do, what kind of products we do, everything, the way we do customers, everything should be affected by the gospel. And I believe that, that message, that I, that I really think that we can advance the work of God in a much more faster way is through missional entrepreneurship. If we take advantage of all these, all the talents of our membership, um, um, getting people's talents engaged in a creative way and doing things in a profitable, but also in a professional way. How can I get involved? This is so amazing. Maybe you've been listening to this and you've been asking that question. I've been asking the question myself. How can I get involved? How can I be part of this movement? How can I uh, take my talent of things God has given me? Uh, what's the next step, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, you can reach out to us anytime. You know, our website is hiveinternational.org. 
And uh, we would love to have you. We're we are a community really of missional entrepreneurs that are thinking along these lines. We're wanting to grow that community. Um, we already have a, a thousand, around a thousand entrepreneurs in different parts of the world that are connected to the community. We want to grow that. We want to empower really everybody to do this, to do this in a, in a, in a professional way. Um, and, and really have an impact in society. You know, the, the, why is this so important? This is my question. And, and, and I want to share that with you. It's, it's really, I think it's the most effective way, the way we're going to get 99% of our membership that is sitting on the pews, primarily doing nothing, you know, maybe giving some tithe and offerings, um, activated and starting to really use what they're doing on a daily basis every day you know to advance the work of god to me so that that that's a big giant leap in how we can advance the work of god in a much more effective way you know and the other thing um that i wanted to share that i wanted to share was that i really think the other reason why why I think we should do minish, missional entrepreneurship is that we can take advantage of all the contacts, all the influence that we already have. Mostly, we have many, 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 many members that are already business people that have lots and lots of contacts, lots and lots of customers, and uh, potentially thousands of customers and millions of customers for some businesses. And those contacts... God has placed into our hands for us to help to show them that God really loves them, that God really cares, and that that God is about is is there to bless these people's lives. So that's that to me is where there's so much low-hanging fruit that we can take advantage of, that we can move and we can use to really demonstrate to the world that God loves people. Wow. Amen. Maybe you've been listening to this and you have gotten excited. You've been inspired. You've been motivated to do something. I know God has given you personally, yes, I'm talking to you. You're listening to this right now, a talent. And I don't know where you are in this journey, whether you're that millennial listening to this podcast and you are thinking about starting something, you have an idea, you're not really sure how to move forward, or you are already that business person with almost a million people uh, that you're reaching, the customers around you and the influence that you have. No matter where you are, Hive is there to bring you to the next level, to give you the resources and to help you grow, start and grow your faith-based business. You're listening to the Hive Podcast. My name is Vincent Bujor. It was a pleasure to have you, Jesse, here on the show with me. And we're going to have you on the show for a couple more times, really diving deep into a lot of different topics that will help us along the way. Sign up at hiveinternational.org and uh, become a part of this movement. I'm so excited that you are here with me, and I look forward to seeing you again in the next episode.